Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, the iPhone X now costs $1,700 if you buy one in India. We'll talk about LED lights and the doc's fascination with them, fun things to do with Alexa, and Amazon and UPS about to team up. We'll also talk about the latest near-miss with an asteroid. And in Profiles in IT, it's Demis Hassabis, the co-founder of DeepMind Technologies. And of course, it is a big, big mail, mail bag. in your mailbox. He, he is so there today uh, that he, he cuts you off. He is really chomping at the bit. We yes. got an email from Ferocian Fredericksburg. Dear Tech Talk, I tried to take a sunset photo... Take sunset photos. I've not really been satisfied with the results. Do you have any suggestions for a good sunset photo? Love the show. Rose and Fredericksburg. Well, everyone at some point in their life likes to take a spectacular sunset because they always look beautiful to the eye. Mm-hmm. And frequently when you take the picture, it's uh, somewhat disappointing. And the, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the reason is, is that there's a huge range of brightnesses. The sun is extremely bright. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, and then the you know the other various beautiful colors that you see surrounding the sun are much less intense, and so you've got a huge dynamic range in the photo. So uh, actually, you've got to expose for different portions of that image in order to get it right. So if you're a professional, you could bracket, which means that you would take a number of photos at different exposures different exposure speeds, and that they, they, you'd expose for the sun and then expose for the background and then for the foreground. And you'd ha- and then after you are completed with taking those bracketed photos, you would use some post, post-processing to combine all the photos into one photo where you'd have all the exposures in one photo, and that's called a high-dynamic range photo. Now, the beauty is, you know, you don't have to do all of that fancy stuff if you've got an iPhone. Because the iPhone has, will take high dynamic range photos immediately. You can simply request a high dynamic range photo, and it will actually bracket on four different exposures. It will then take and combine the four exposures into one photo, and you get an HDR photo out directly. And it does a pretty good job on sunsets, actually. I've taken several sunrises actually uh and um recently with my with my iphone and they look beautiful i ended up making uh canvas prints out of them all you have to do is set set up for high dynamic range now you've got to hold the camera very still because you're taking four photos and those are going to be superimposed on top of each other so if your camera's moving around the superposition of the photos won't be quite as good. The, the photo is not going to look that sharp. So uh, you want to, uh, you know, you might hold the, the iPhone against a, a door frame or something. I mean, most people don't have a tripod for their iPhone, but just sort of stabilize it and make a point to keep it very still, and you'll get a great picture of a sunrise or a sunset with your iPhone. Or if you've got a regular digital single-lens reflex, you could, you could actually do the bracketing and the post-processing. What? Very, very good question. Which which version of the iPhone was this? Is this all iPhones will do this, or uh, the iPhone sixes and beyond have it? I know. Oh. I'm, I mean, I've got a six S. Well, and it's, I could do it's that. Got it. You could do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could do that very easily. I'm not. I can't remember whether the five has it or not. But most people really don't. Most have normal fives people that, have a six. <laughs> most normal people have a six at least. Because the because as we know the battery dies you know the planned obsolescence of the Apple product mm-hmm. after so long you've got to get a new one. We got an email from Macy in San Francisco. Dear Doc and Jim, a neighbor has named his unprotected wireless network 
at, with the same name as my network. I immediately changed my network's name, and I increased the security level on my network, WPA, because I'm thinking that my network, my, my neighbor had some, uh, something, he was up to something. Because my, now my neighbor's network is a very strong signal. It's unprotected. And because I was re, because I previously was logging onto a network of that name, my laptop keeps logging automatically onto his network. And, uh, and I, and I, you know, I, until I realized yeah. what was going on. Uh, but I'd feel much safer if I'm on my own network. It almost sounds like he's trying to get her stuff, right? That's right. You know, it, could it be that, that my, my, my neighbor's up to something sneaky? Well, it could be. It could be that your neighbor's, you know, he wants you to inadvertently log onto his network, and then he'll, he'll hack into your computer because you'll, of course, not be secured when you're on his network. So what you can, what you want to do first of all, you want to forget his network. So you want to go in when it, when you go to the list of Wi-Fi networks that are on your computer, click on his and say forget this network, and then it won't log on automatically. And then you could tell it to log automatically onto onto uh, onto your network. Well, and you know the other thing she could do to get rid of the confusion is she could call hers the real whatever the name she's using. She could. She could do that. Mm-hmm. But she has to forget his first yes, of all. Yes, exactly. And so you could now if if you think you're if you think your neighbor's really up to something sneaky, you could actually go log into your uh log into your router and you could say do not broadcast a network name. Mm-hmm. So no network name is broadcast at all. And then but that means that anytime you log into your network you'll have to do it manually. So what you'd do the first time you'd log into your network without a network name, you would simply actually have to physically type in the network name that you know and then put in the password. At that point, it will automatically log into your network without asking you for it again. But your neighbor won't see your actual network name. So in case he's trying to pull some tricky thing on you and make certain you forget you forget his, his network so you don't log on to it automatically. Now, if your network's, if your neighbor's really a, uh, 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 you know, uh, a, a computer geek, you can very easily detect the, um, the 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 network name because he can simply sniff your network and figure out what's going on. But I'm thinking that he's just a casual hacker and not a not a professional hacker. Mm-hmm. We got an email from Sophia in Fairfax, dear Tech Talk. I'd like my kids to learn programming. They're all in elementary school now. Unfortunately, I don't know enough to help them. I'm not a programmer. <laughs> What resources are available for parents in this area? Love the show, Sophia and Fairfax. Well, Sophia, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of websites that will inter- introduce programming to your kids. They can be fun, and and you can and I think the sooner your kids learn how to begin coding, the better it is because coding is really sort of like learning another language. It's not really that complicated, and if you become familiar with it at a young age, you'll. You'll be adept with it later on. So I think the sooner the better. So here, here are uh, four sites that I think are pretty good. Here are programming tutorials from Made with Code by Google. Programming tutorials by Made with Code from Made with Code by Google. Google's Made with Code was a project whose mission was to encourage girls to pursue careers in computer science. And so they made programming fun. In that site, so this is, but this site's really good for both boys and girls. It's just not girls. We got resources for parents from the MIT Media Labs Scratch team. Scratch is one of the most popular coding tools for kids. It's designed to help students with little or no coding experience. The software lets students create animations and stories with building blocks that mimic the structure of computer code. Luckily, the team behind made made the software easy for beginners, so you can see program flow and program logic without getting too hung up in program syntax. Then there's Tinker's Hour of Code-Free Activities, <laughs> T-Y-N-K-E-R-S. Tinker's a fun, intuitive site for of games that makes it easy for kids to learn to implement basic computational thinking and programming skills. Then we've got Lessons and Tutorials from Code.org. Code.org was launched in 2013 to advocate for wider access to computer science learning in schools and for especially for underrepresented students of color. Then we have computer lessons from the 
Khan Academy. The Khan Academy self-paced courses introduce a number of fascinating code concepts to kids from learning the basics of computer programming and animation to more complex computer science subjects. These are a perfect way to jump off, uh, you know, jump off for the curious student who wants to learn code. So those are really good resources on the web, and I would strongly encourage you to get your kids working with them. Actually, Sophia, you could even work with them and learn a little code yourself. You may be able to pick up some money as a part-time programmer mm-hmm. there at home. We got an email from Wendy in Fairfax. Dear uh, dear Tech Talk, I'm considering taking an online class and was wondering whether distance education is effective as traditional classroom delivery. You know, I'm kind of a kind of a traditional person going to class, but this online thing seems so convenient. Enjoy the show. Uh, Wendy in Fairfax. Well, Wendy, that was a good question. We offer both on-ground and online classes at Stratford. And an online class, contrary to popular opinion, is actually more difficult because you've, you've, it's got to be self-paced. You have to have discipline. And and you've got to do you know a fair amount of homework. You've got to post your homework. There's a, a lot of threaded discussion where you basically can do critical thinking online as you discuss different topics with the students. You can also do group work online. And many of the classes with the group work, especially with Adobe Connect, they simulate almost like a class. Your group gets together, you can see each other, you can talk. And so if you are disciplined, if you can meet deadlines, an online class is an excellent way to go. Now, what you're missing is the face-to-face interaction. And some people, especially younger students, need that face-to-face interaction as they're growing up. That's why, say, going to college and getting your first college degree now, purely online may not be good because you miss all the socialization. Right, exactly. But if you're, if you're a working professional, you've got all the socialization, you just want to learn the material, an online class is really quite a good option. Tech Talk has a, has a page on Facebook. It's Facebook slash Tech Talk Online, and we got an inquiry right off the Facebook page. I just opened it up a few minutes ago from Eric McDonald. He said, my computer, when powered for the first time each day, will freeze after about 10 or 15 minutes, but it'll run thereafter after rebooting. It's, I mean, it's a problem, but I can endure it, but I'd rather find out what's causing it and see if I could fix it. Well, Eric... <clears throat> I would think it's a ther- it's clearly a thermal problem because as the computer's heating up, something is happening. And most thermal problems, in fact, most problems are caused by connections. Uh huh. And so there's a connection which is uh, which is broken as it is heating up and as you get thermal expansion. So what I would do is I, I would open up the computer and I would just pull off all the cables, put them back on, reseat the connectors because they do tend to oxidize. You've got connectors where all of the uh, peripherals you know, fit into the slots. I don't know if it's a laptop or a desktop. If it's a desktop, you can actually check all the connections. And that's what I would do first. I would just try to clean the connections. And that is most likely the problem. And most problems are just that simple. Listen, we love your making comments here on the Tech Talk page. Just go to facebook.com slash online. We got an email from Nan in Atlanta. Recently, I got an iPhone, and I love the way that it stores photos in the cloud. However, I have a problem. My data usage is now too high, especially when I travel on vacation. What are my options? Enjoy the show, Nan. Well, Nan, the iCloud photo library is one of those features that just works beautifully. You take a photo or a video, and boom, uh, on your iPhone, and boom, it just it's uploaded to the cloud, and it's available on all your devices immediately. It really is great to um, to work. However, if you're not in the vicinity of Wi-Fi and you're do- uploading all this all these photos, especially if you're uploading videos, it will eat into your data limit quite quickly. So uh, it turned out that before iOS version 10, the iCloud photo library would only upload over Wi-Fi. But when they came out with I- uh, uh, iOS 11, Apple enabled uploading over cellular data. Now, this is great if you've got if you've got a high data camp, but it's not so good if your data cap is low. So what you can do, you can go to Settings and open up Photos. And under Photos, there's going to be something called Mobile Data. Click on that and simply turn it off. Simply turn off Mobile Data. And at that point, your photos will only upload whenever you're on Wi-Fi. But I can tell you, I was on a trip to India 
and I was taking a lot of photos, and I ended up, uh, when I came back, you know, I was taking lots and lots of photos, and I ended up um, getting my phone wet, and it was ruined. But because I'd been uploading all my photos in real time, I didn't mm-hmm. lose a thing. I never heard the story about the phone getting wet and destroyed. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's I've got I've got issues. I've got issues yes. with phones. Uh huh. So you know, I'm I'm usually at my insurance replacement cap. Oh, <laughs> by the way, I mean it's really an aside. What I discovered was uh, I I have I've got both the insurance with with Verizon in case my phone is lost. Mm-hmm. But then I have Apple Care that I that I get from Apple. And when yes. I, you know, I just buy the phone. I get Apple Care for just a, just a fixed amount. And the beauty with Apple Care is, no matter what what happens to the phone, even if it gets wet, they'll fix it as long as you have the phone. But if the phone's gone, they won't fix it because they only fix a phone; they don't replace a phone. So with Apple Care, I've had broken screens and all kinds of stuff, and mm-hmm. Apple takes care of me. And then on the other hand, when when the phone is lost. I can go to the Verizon, uh, the, the Verizon place. Now, Verizon will not fix the phone, but what happens is that if people, somebody really breaks their phone by running over it and it's not covered by Verizon, they simply throw it away. Then they tell Verizon it was lost, uh, and then it's replaced. Really? Now, the thing is, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. I'm sure you don't. Now, the thing is with Verizon and that Verizon uh, replacement plan, they replace it typically with a refurbished phone. On the other hand, with Apple Care, if they have to replace the phone because they just can't fix it, they right. give you a new phone, and they give you really? a new phone on the spot. So, so I've got double coverage with both uh, Apple as well as nice. my carrier. It's, um, and I need it given the given my track. You're kind of rough. Given my rough track with the record, yeah. Oh, we got an email from Helen in Rockville. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard that two-factor authorization is very secure. I'm thinking of use. I've been thinking of using it uh, on a few of my accounts. However. I'm worried about being locked out of my account if I lose my cell phone or if I'm on travel and can't connect to my cell phone. What do you recommend? Enjoy the podcast, Helen in Rockville. Well, Helen, um, uh, two-factor authentication is really good to have these days because even if someone gets your password, when they log in with your password, there is a uh, message sent to one other device, either by email or by text message with a with a with an authorization code, and you have to put that authorization code into the into the account to log in, which means you've got to have physical possession of either an, uh, the, your phone or you have to have possession of another email account. So it really does cut down on hacking, and it's an excellent thing to do. But there is a problem. Suppose that you are authenticating with your phone, and then you lose your phone, or you're, and you don't have your phone with you, or you're traveling and you can't get access to your phone, then your two-factor authentication won't work because you you don't have your phone. Now, most of the of the um, of the uh, websites that have two-factor authentication will let you do both uh, send a message both to a cell phone as well as to an email address. So you should always have both a cell phone and an email address at all times. Now, the second thing that you should do is. When you set up your uh, two-factor authentication, the sites allow you to print out a backup code. So this backup code is a number or it's a password that gets you onto the site in case two-factor authentication works. Now, what you want to do is take this backup code that you print out and you want to store it in a safe place because then... That will ensure that in the event that all your backup authentication channels are not available, you can still get into your account using that backup code. And you can really generate that backup code anytime you want. Now, in the case of Google, uh, their backup code only works once. So what you do, you print out a series of backup codes, and then you use it once. And then the next time you've got to get into your Google account with the backup code, you use the second one. So... With the backup codes stored in a safe location, you're never going to be locked out of your of your account. Now, if your backup, sometimes you if suppose that the two-factor authentication is your main email address. And that means you have to and, and you're not using a cell phone and you and you want to have your authentication as another email address. So you so you make up an email address. You get a you get a Yahoo account or you get a um, uh, you know, a Gmail account, mm-hmm. and, and you set it up, and it's just your backup backup uh, email account in case you have to do two-factor authentication. 
you must be mindful that if you don't use some of these free email accounts every six months, they'll disable it. So if you're going to have one of these free email accounts as your backup authenticator, make certain you log into it every six months or so so it doesn't become inactive and Mm -hmm. then you'll be fine. But that's a good move to go to two-factor authentication. I highly, highly recommend it. We got an email from Alice in Reston. Dear Doc and Jim, my computer switches to a blank screen after about 5 to 15 minutes in use. Then I have to turn it off to get another 5 or 15 minutes of use. What's causing this blackout? Love the show, Alice. Well, the most common cause here is overheating. Clearly, because it's recurring, so you've got an overheating problem. So your computer needs good ventilation to avoid overheating. So you want to make certain that the ventilation holes are not blocked. Because there are little filters in the back, and if you never clean your computer, they get blocked. With dust and crud. With dust, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Just, I mean, just like your furnace, you've got to change the filter. So, you you, you know, you got to periodically check the filters on your computer because it does pull a lot of, of air through. Also, hardware does fail. One of the early signs of an impending failure is a periodic crash, as you described. If it's consistently happening every 5 to 15 minutes after boot up, After looking at possible overheating issues, I'd begin to suspect the power supply. Hmm. One of the most common black screen failure modes is that the computer's display has stopped working. So it could be a display issue. But the computer itself is still running properly. So to test whether it's the screen or the computer, what you may want to do is play an MP3 song as a loop and play it out to a speaker. And then if the screen blanks out and you can still hear the music, then you know the computer's on but the screen's failed. Finally, it could just be your screensaver. So if you wiggle the mouse or hit a key on the keyboard and your and your screen comes back on, that's it. It's the screensaver. But I got a feeling it's not that. But I'm just covering all bases. Now, if you've got a laptop, it's possible that that it's gone into the standby or hibernate mode. So you can you can simply push a button and bring it back. You can go into configuration and, and you can tell it how long it will sit idle before it goes into the hibernation mode. But those are all your various options and. Uh, Best of luck there, Alice. We got an email from Ian in Greenbelt, Maryland. Dear Tech Talk, I keep getting programs installed to my computer that I never wanted. And I, you know, I'd like just to clean up this mess. It's slowing down my computer, becoming very annoying. Listen every Saturday, Ian in Greenbelt. Well, this is becoming a common problem where you install some program, you 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 do a download. And you get several programs that you don't want. They might tell you to download this installer, then the installer downloads the program, and in the process, you get programs installed on your computer that you really don't want. Now, many times they'll give you that option, and if you look at what the options are, you probably can unclick them if they're ethical, if they're ethical operators. So you just don't want to take the default installation. You want to take the custom installation and uncheck anything you don't want. But if you've got unscrupulous people, they're not going to give you the choice. They're just going to uninstall it. Now, sometimes you get, especially get these toolbars installed on the on the you know on your on your browser. I hate all these toolbars mm-hmm. because they just track what's going on. So you can actually, so you can actually go to you can actually uninstall uninstall the toolbars. You can go to the control panel and go to features and look for anything called the toolbar, and you can just right click on it. and You can uninstall it. Then I would run uh, a nice free antivirus program as Malware Bytes. You can download it, install the free version. I would not select they have a they have a trial version of the premium product. Now what that means is it's free for two weeks and then they start charging your credit card. So don't get the trial ver don't get the free trial of the premium product. Get the real free version, it won't cost you anything. Because the free version is pretty good and that's all you need. Now, malware bytes can take a while to scan, but after it's complete, you get notification if you have any malware. And if you're still having um, problems, uh, you can restore to a recent backup point. You could, if you still got, you know, you can restore to, to a recent backup point, to a restore point, so then you can go back before that stuff was put on your computer. We got an email from Dave in Colorado. Dear Tech Talk, I'm backing up my computer as recommended. How can I test whether the backup is actually good? I'd, I'd rather test it now than test it later. Love the show, Dave, in Boulder, Colorado. Well, Dave, that's a very good idea to test your backup. There's nothing worse than thinking you're backing up, and then all of a sudden 
you discover the backup doesn't work. So what I would recommend is uh, you're probably backing up various subdirectories. So pick a critical subdirectory that really has got critical files. Rename the subdirectory some other name. And then go to your backup and restore that subdirectory. And then you can compare the restored version with the renamed version to see whether it restored properly. And if there's a critical, then, then after you're done, you can just you can just uh, um, you know you can just delete what what you just restored and then rename the subdirectory again. So then you know that that subdirectory actually backed up. And if there's a critical file you've got to have, rename the file and then restore that file and see whether in fact it restores as you expect. Very good idea to always uh, always check your backups before you actually need them. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you at the next show, or we may email you immediately. And uh, we love all your emails. And also, you can log on to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash techtalkonline, and we may answer comments that you're giving there on the Facebook page real-time during the show. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the show live on your device by downloading the Periscope app and following following, following us at WFED Tech Talk. Easy for me to say. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18 it that's stratford.edu slash 18 it If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. I see you got his attention. Right on the money. Today Mm. we're going to feature Demis Hassabis. Demis Hassabis is best known as co-founder of DeepMind Technologies, an artificial intelligence startup purchased by Google. Last week, we featured his co-founder, Mustafa Suleiman, who actually was the man behind the purpose of DeepMind. Now, Demis is the man behind the technology at DeepMind. Hassabis was born July 27, 1976, in London, His father was a Greek Cypriot, and his mother was a Chinese Singaporean. He was a child prodigy in chess. He received the master level at age 13. Hassabas was educated in Queen Elizabeth School in Barnett and at Christ College in Finchley. He completed his A-level exams two years early. The guy was really bright. Hassabus began his computer games career at Bullfrog, Bullfrog Productions. This is before, even before college. He was a first-level designer on a game called Syndicate. And then at 17, he was co-designing and lead programmer on the classic game Theme Park. Theme Park is a celebrated simulation game. It sold several million copies and won the... Golden Joystick Award. Hey now. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know, I've never really heard of the Golden Joystick Award No, I have not, but before. it sounds like it could be... Never mind. Yes, it does. It does. It does. It's, 
Yeah. It does have that sound. And that mm-hmm. inspired a whole uh, a whole genre of management simulation games. Hannibus left Bullfrog to study, to, to go to college. And he, he, at, at, at Queen's College at Cambridge, he studied computer science, and he graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer science in 1997. After graduating from Cambridge... He started working at Lionhead Studios as the lead AI programmer on the game Black and White. They call that a god game because hmm. you were actually god of the world, ah. you see. You play god of the world. <laughs> I get it. You know? <laughs> so you play god that's, of the world. Of the world. So that's yeah, why it's I a god it. game. Yeah. Ah. In uh, 1999, at age 23... He won the Mind Sports Olympiad. That's an annual international competition for games of mental skill. It's is a highly competitive thing. You've got to be really bright. And he won it. But he went on to win it five times in a row. Wow. And he finally retired in 2003. Hannibus left Lionhead in 1998, you know, to found his own game development studio, Alexer, Alexer Studios. And they and he developed a very complicated game, released it to the marketplace with a lukewarm reception. So it was not a major, uh, I'd say, a major financial success that there that Elixir. So in April of 2005, all the assets of Elixir were sold to various publishers, and the studio was closed. And then he decided to go back to school. So he returned to academia, got a Ph.D. in cognitive neuroscience from the University of London, University College London. They call that UCL, University College London. He got a Ph.D. in 2009. In his research, he he sought to find the inspiration in the human brain for new AI algorithms. And he was actually studying the um, relationship between uh, memory and creativity between memory and creativity. And he had some groundbreaking results that were published in, uh, in the refereed liter- literature. After he got his, uh, his, um, his Ph.D. from University College London, he did, a, he did a couple of internships at MIT and Harvard, you know, for a few months. And then he received a postdoc fellowship at University College London, and he went back to, do, to continue his research. In 2010, Hassabis co-founded DeepMind, a London-based learning AI startup. He did it with Shane Legg and Mustafa Soliman. Now, if you remember, Mustafa Soliman was the man who had a purpose. He wanted to develop software that would solve the world's problems. And so his motivation was to develop general artificial intelligence that could apply to any problem. And so he was using DeepMind as a way to make the world a better place. So he combined his passion to make a difference with the technology and the, um, and the sort of the technical chops of Hassabus to form DeepMind. Hassabus and Soleiman had been friends since childhood. They both met Leg at the University of College London. He was the third co-founder when, when uh, Hassabus was doing his postdoc. See, the funny thing is Soleiman dropped out of Cambridge. So he went on and did all this social work, remember? Mm-hmm. And then Hassabus went on and finished his doctorate. So they actually had two completely different paths, but they ended up coming together to make a difference for the world. Now, DeepMind aims to combine neuroscience and machine learning with new computing hardware to create what they call artificial general intelligence. Now, the company focuses on training and learning algorithms they started out well Hassabus is a gamer so they said what better way to sort of test our software than to see whether it can learn how to play games so they exposed it to games and they let it they let it learn on its own and learn the rules so they created initially this what they call the deep q network and and they and it and it taught itself how to play atari games they just simply exposed the DQN, the DeepQ network, to the raw pixels as input, the raw pixels on the screen, and they just let it uh, observe the raw pixels. And through learning, reinforcement learning, it learned how to play these games without any programming of rules. That was sort of the beginning of their process because they would like to develop 
general purpose algorithms that can be exposed to data that can that can evolve with data as they're exposed to more data and program themselves that's their purpose so google purchased deepmind for 400 million pounds mm. um a couple that's of years heavy. ago 400 oh, million pounds yeah yeah british pounds oh. that's around that's around 500 million dollars just five probably 550 million dollars now since the google acquisition They've sort of expanded their effort. They, they, they first of all went after one of the most difficult games, Go. They created AlphaGo, and AlphaGo simply observed uh, many Go games, and, and they started the AlphaGo um, software started playing games with itself. And they learned many innovative strategies to play Go that had never been used by humans. And when they pitted AlphaGo against Go champions, it just cleaned the cleaned their clock. I mean, mm. they were winning like AlphaGo was winning five games, and the human was winning nothing. Hmm. So it was um, it it was the first time that Go that a computer had ever won at Go. Now DeepMind makes advances in deep learning and reinforcement learning. They call that uh, deep reinforcement learning, where they combine the two. And so what what they do? They're trying to get a, a they're trying to create software that will learn when it's exposed to data as opposed to software that you program for specific applications. So their goal is not just to make a chat bot or just not to make something that recognizes faces. Their goal is or not just to make something that something plays chess. They want to create a software framework that will learn from the uh, from being exposed to data. And this is the beginning of creating truly intelligent machines. Now, the interesting thing, as this technology evolves, the men who create the software will not quite understand how the software has programmed itself, you see, because it evolves to the data. It's a little scary. And that's why people are concerned about ethical boundaries around AI. And, 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 the, and the software can evolve in many ways. So, one, so they want to test the software to see whether it'll... To make certain it can't disable a kill switch, for instance, uh, because it doesn't want to be turned off like HAL in 2001. And so this is going to be probably the biggest impact on how computers will affect society going forward. And we've got to combine it both with the computer scientists as well as with ethics to make certainly up the right place. So there you want to go. Everything you want to know about Demis Hassabis, the co-founder of DeepMind Technologies, the AI company purchased by Google. Stand by for your chance to play the pop quiz and win free lunch here on Tech Talk Radio. Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. Want to watch us do the show? You can do so by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn, learn more about our show by going to stratford.edu, scroll to the bottom right of the page, and click on the Tech Talk link. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18 it that's stratford.edu slash 18 it if it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, the security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Thanks for tuning in this Saturday morning. We're about to play the pop quiz, our way of showing you that lunch sometimes can be free. Our subject in Profiles in IT was Demis Hassabis, best known as the co-founder of DeepMind Technologies. Hassabis was a child prodigy, and our question today is, at the age of 13, he reached the master level playing this particular game. If you know the answer to today's question, well, the next move is yours. Pick up the phone and call us now. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're playing board games in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. The iPhone X now costs $1,700 in India. The price hike came less than a week after Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government said it was increasing the import duties on mobile phones. India already is one of the most expensive, is almost one of the expensive places in the world to buy an iPhone. And 14 of Apple's latest models from the iPhone 6 to the iPhone X will now cost about 3% more. Mm. A 250-gigabyte version of the iPhone X, for example, will cost $1,700. That's a $50 increase because of the recent uh, tariff increase. The same version in the U.S. would cost $1,150. So that's uh, that's quite a differential. The increased tariffs were meant to encourage smartphone companies trying to cash in on India's lucrative market to manufacture their products in the country. So what happens is that if you manufacture the smartphone in the country, no tariff. Uh-huh. If you manufacture it outside of India, there will be a tariff. Now, what is interesting, when he went to Davos, the uh, the Modi, Prime Minister Modi, and gave a talk at da- Davos, he said, we need free trade. We can't have any of these tariffs like the United States is talking about. He's, he apparently forgot to remember that India's got some of the worst tariffs in the world to try to get people to go there. It turns out that it doesn't have a big impact on Samsung and Xiaomi because they already make most of their Indian phones locally. Now, Apple does make its low-end iPhone SE model in a plant in Bangalore, but they haven't really expanded the manufacturing because there are so many regulations that are preventing it from opening a store in India. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Stratford. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the, huh? Where are we? We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. You know, I was thinking about something else just we were coming in. Oh, the boy. Air. You know, it's, it's not really in the show outline, but my mind had a, had, had a momentary thought. This whole last week, Mm-hmm. I've been putting more LED light bulbs into my house. Have you really? Yeah, these uh, these I'm getting candelabra light LED candelabra lights, and it's 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 been an interesting thing. Like I had these lights in the dining room, and I wanted them to be the LED, but you know you want them to look like a flame. You don't like them. You want them a little those, those orangey. Have a flickery thing, right? Well, no, they don't flicker, they don't flicker. But, but you want them you want them a little orangey, mm-hmm. as, like like a flame would be. And so, um, and so, actually, the color temperature of the light is 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 really written is really indicated on the light. So, if you want it to look like a flame, you need a a color temperature of twenty two hundred degrees K. Okay. So it's a twenty two hundred color temperature, and that's the temperature of a black body, which is a uh, an object that that does not reflect any information as hundred percent emissivity. If it's heated up to twenty two hundred degrees, it it emits that color of light. And so the 20 and it took me a long time to find something that was 2200 and I found it I put it in I put it in the chandelier it looks great. Now in the rest of the house I wanted soft white because I don't like that really bright white. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I got 2700 degree bulbs. And the 2700 degree K bulbs uh, for the color temperature are just right for the soft white. So I have them all over the house, but now I'm taking candelabra bulbs that were say Either uh, either uh, twenty five watt or forty watts. Replacing if it's a forty watt bulb, I'm replacing it with a four watt bulb. Mm-hmm. If it's a twenty five watt bulb, I'm replacing it with a two watt bulb. Okay. And so my power in the whole house is just about is is just about one tenth of what it used to be. That's crazy. Um, so where do you, you get them off Amazon? Is that where you find them? I, I get them on Amazon. Yeah, I, I, I get them all on Amazon, and you know, it's a, they're about two dollars a piece. Hmm. I, I'm not getting the. And they last forever, don't they? They last. They last for thirty thousand hours. This was the other reason I did it. I just got tired of going home and and having this honeydew list. Oh, Rick, would you go? You know, change the light bulbs in the upstairs. You mean Viceroy won't do that for you? No, I, that's the problem. You know, I got this honeydew list of changing all these stinking light bulbs. And I just hate doing that. So now I decided I'm going to just put all LED light bulbs in there. I'm never going to have another light bulb burn out again. I would want my chandelier to look like blue natural gas flame, uh, uh, torches. You could, you could, you could do that. I wonder what, what it, uh, temperature that you bulb would, would be. Well, it would be blue. It would be, it'd be much higher. Uh-huh. Yeah, it'd be much higher. I'd, you know, I'd, I think it's hard to get blue and LED, but you can do it. So. I, so, and the other thing I discovered is that the chandelier bulbs are either E12 or E11 bases. And I, and I wonder what that, and what E12, the, the outside diameter of the base is 12 millimeters. And E11, the outside diameter is 11 millimeters. So wow. now I've, I've learned figured all, it all out. I've learned all about that. But, the, but I'm telling you, this is the year of the LED mm-hmm. light bulb. The prices have really come down. I'm afraid it will never go that way. <laughs> I am too much of a throwback. I like that whole retro look. So I have the, the old incandescent bulbs, and yeah. I'm sure that they are just energy hogs. They are, but I'm telling you, these 2200 degree, they look incandescent. They're orangey. Mm-hmm. If I wouldn't tell you that those were LEDs, you would think. But they, you can't see the filament, which is the fun with the filament. No, they have the little tiny LEDs are on a wire. It looks like a filament. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It looks like a filament. I'll they've have to got try little those. tiny LED emitters that are on the wire itself, and and they've got this whole wire deal inside of the candelabra bulb. It looks like a Come filament. Come to think of it, I have seen these. The filament is kind of like is it, 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 it's a they're, it's an they're, orangey they're, they're thing, actually, right? Yeah, they're actually four filaments. It's an or it's it's orange when they're not on. Uh-huh. And if you get it as 2200 degrees, the, it's going to look orangey, just like it, I'll tell you, it looks great on the candelabra. I I would have, never I would never and those were only two dollars a piece i never would have believed it until i did it i'm gonna have to try this so that's i don't even it was not even on the tech talk but it's, you know what that was a, fun it's just i'm i was excited about it i'm sure it sounds that way there are a few fun things to do with alexa you know alexa is, oh, God, is amazon that echo. dirty <laughs> yeah hey now <laughs> you know jim i never really walked down that alley before but now that you've brought it up <laughs> 
Yeah, this is my Am- you know, fun things to do with my Amazon Echo. Funny, lonely, <laughs> cold nights in the winter. So, number one, which I think is sort of nice, you, they have a skill for either Lyft or Uber. So you can order your Lyft or Uber car with, with Alexa. Mm-hmm. I can just say... Alexa, would you order an Uber for me? And I've and it's got my credit card, it's got my address, and it knows that I want an Uber X, and it will order the Uber, and it'll just come right to the house, and I don't even have to take out my cell phone. Alexa, Jim. get me a lift. <laughs> That's right. You can say, oh, good, Alexa, get me a lift now. If you're too lazy to, call, <laughs> to, to, to you know, to if call, you have Alexa, you're lazy. I'm yeah. sorry, that's the way now, it is. I've I've downloaded the skills for Domino Pizza and Pizza Hut. So, and I put in my address and my credit card, so I can say, Alexa, would you would you send me a large pepperoni pizza from Domino's, and, and you'll order from Domino's and just be delivered there. Wow. So I don't actually have to. Now, you know, the problem is if if you set this up and you've got kids. Just yeah. Think about that problem. The mountain of pizzas at your front door every night. <laughs> exactly. They just say, "Hey, let's go to let's go to Alexa and get the thing." Now, this is not bad. There's a bartender skill thing there, and it's got all the drink recipes. And like you could say, Alexa, would you ask bartender the uh, the uh, you know how to make a grasshopper? And Alexa <laughs> and Alexa will give you all the ingredients for the grasshopper. So, you know, if you want to sit there and you want, you know, you want to know how to make a fancy drink, Alexa's right there. Their bartender skills right there to take. Now, suppose you've got some ingredients and you, and you don't, you can say, I've got these ingredients. What drink could I make? It will get a recipe. That's interesting. It'll, it'll, it'll reverse it. It'll give you the, it'll give you a drink that uses those ingredients. Now, there's another app called Big Sky. Mm-hmm. See, Alexa's got the uh, weather forecasting app, but Big Sky is like a super deluxe weather forecasting app. So... You can ask things like, you can say, Alexa, ask Big Big Sky what the humidity is. Hmm. Alexa, ask Big Sky what the temperature will be at 5 p.m. So you can can ask very specific things, and it's a a little better app for just talking to Alexa to get details on the the weather. Now, this is one I like, Nightlight, because Alexa's got that little blue light at the top. So there's a Nightlight skill, and then you can say, Alexa, open the Nightlight for two minutes, if if you have to get up in the middle of the night and you want a little light in the bedroom, mm-hmm. so you don't actually have to turn on the lamp, you know, because the whole thing with Alexa, you just want to save you save energy. Alexa, turn on the night light. That's Sorry, right. that's I'll never sing again. I that's promise. right. Now this is really a nice one. Any pod, and it will play any podcast. So you can you can download the Alexa skill for any pod, and you can say Alexa, ask any pod to, to play Stratford Tech Talk Radio. Why not? And then bingo, you get it. I mean, I listen I, I listen to uh, to the uh, to the podcast on Apple iTunes, and so bingo, you can do it. Like I've got the podcast app actually on my iPhone to listen to Tech Talk Radio. Because I'll do the show, and then I'll, and you'll forget what you talked about. That's right. So I said, <laughs> yeah, what what exactly did I talk about? It was so early in the morning. I like to listen. That's to figure right. out how it turned out. That's right. Now there's there's one that's they've got they've got an application, the seven minute workout. This is extremely <laughs> popular. So you just you, and so you you download the seven minute workout skill and then you say, Alexa, start the seven minute workout, and it goes through you, you got the music and it goes through all the different items that you need in the seven minute workout. Mm-hmm. So you don't you don't have to time yourself and it tells you what to do and you get you got the translated skill. You got a translated skill. You you can say, Alexa you know, enable translated, and then you could say, you could ask, once that skill is loaded, you could say, uh, Alexa, ask translated to say where the restroom is in Spanish. Um, I think you need to bring Alexa in one day, and we need to mess around with this I, on the air. I, I think I think I should do that. Yeah, I that think that'd be, be fun, that would because be a, that it's would a radio be, show, it is and a, that's an audio thing. And that is an audio, but see, this translated, I, you know, said, you know, where's the restroom in Spanish? It's you know, it's not like I carry Alexa. I can do that. Donde es el baño? Yeah, oh, really? Yes. But it's not like I carry Alexa around with me when I'm walking around in That's Spain. That's the next thing. Amazon's about ready to take on UPS and FedEx. According to Wall Street, the online retailer's new shipping service is going to be called Shipping with Amazon. SWA. SWA. Shipping with Amazon. It's going to roll out of Los Angeles first. Now, Shipping with Amazon will pick up packages from any business and ship them to customers. And it will use the Amazon shipping infrastructure. They, in addition to that, Amazon plans to abandon UPS and FedEx in favor of its own delivery service coming. I mean, in case of its own delivery services coming down the pike. I've been, the last few packages I've gotten 
from Amazon have been through Amazon uh, d- delivery service directly. Hmm. It hasn't been through U- UPS or FedEx. And so they've been I've been seeing that shift moving more and more over the past few months. But now what is significant, instead of only shipping their own products, they're going to let businesses, non-Amazon businesses, call them up and ship stuff. Hmm. And so basically they're going direct head-on-head competition with FedEx and USPS. Amazon will own the planet. That's right. So, so this this is going to be coming out. They're they're launching it in in Los Angeles, but it's uh, it's actually a pretty good move because they're going to get uh, you know they're going to be able to move on that quickly. Now this asteroid um, came near Earth February 9th. It came less than one fifth of the distance. Uh, you know, uh, one fifth of the distance to, uh, to the moon. I mean, I mean it came really close. That it is was close. asteroid twenty eighteen CB. It passed 39,000 miles away. It's between 50 and 130 feet in diameter. It didn't trigger the Amazon, the uh, asteroid alert on my iPhone. No, there was no. It did get the tsunami alert, but it's uh, yeah. But you know, they so they're tracking these things. I mean, it used to be when they didn't track them, we didn't worry about them. But now we, but, but, <laughs> but now, but now we know about all the near misses. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, five years ago, one of them hit the Earth in Russia. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. And it was about the size. The one that hit the, in Russia was about the size of a school bus. Now, Jeez. now, of course, when they come down. They they, they break, burn up. They, right? they break up and they and they they break up into a lot of pieces and some of the pieces make it all the way down but most of them don't. But there was a huge burning. You know the forest burned up a lot in in in, in Russia when that came down. It was quite quite a large event. Now, over the break we decided to head out into the boat here. Yeah, we're out in the uh, Stratford Sound. But I always wondered why are fish white? It's a good question. Because you get, you know, you, if you buy a nice steak, you're never going to see a white steak or a white piece of beef. Chicken's a little on the white, chicken, white, side, white yes. side, but it's not. Uh, and so the question is, why is it white? Well, it turns out that uh, muscle is made of two kinds of fibers. Mm-hmm. You have to call the slow fiber. Now, the slow fire burns fats to provide energy. You, Jim, you're going to have to change the bait. I don't think you're getting anything. No, you know, we I need think, to throw some yeah. chum overboard or something. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. You, you, you put a, now, put a bigger worm on your hook. Right here. No, <laughs> you, you put, a bigger, put a bigger worm. Yeah, Jim. I'm good at catching old Jim, tires in refrigerators. Jim, you, you can't be throwing M80s and fireworks into no. the water. That's not. You can't fish that way. It's Jim. not nice to the no, fish. No, it isn't. Well, they have slow fires. Now, they burn fat to provide energy. Now, these muscles need oxygen to operate. These slow fibers are well suited for working continuously, like walking around. Mm-hmm. So you'd see slow fibers would be on most of the animals that are in the, uh, you know, walking around. Now, fast fibers, they burn glycogen, and they do not need oxygen to burn. Fast fibers don't need myoglobin. They're always white. Fast fibers can only operate in short bursts. Now, the, fi- the, the fast fibers are short, and they fall apart when they're cooked. So you see fish, by and large, they just sit around most of the time, and they'll have that quick burst of energy. Right. And so for the kind of bursty kind of, uh, of, uh, of, of life that a fish has, they'd have a fast fiber, uh, and that would be, of course, white. Now, land animals need to support their own weight, so they have typically have slow fibers, I guess, Chickens are a little bit wider, so they have a, mm-hmm. they they don't have as much of the slow fiber in them. Now, fish swim in bursts and are supported by water, so they can uh, have the fast fibers. Now, sharks, which must con- swim continuously all the time, they actually aren't, can, cannot be all fast fiber because mm-hmm. they, they don't they have to swim continuously. So some of the bigger fish tend to have some slow fibers in them, which would explain why tuna, salmon, things like yeah, that. Yeah, they have they have slow fibers, and they and so they're a little they're a little bit more oilier and they're darker and they they taste different. Exactly. And so that's the difference between the white fish and the dark fish and the animals that you find on the land. See you next weekend for more Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. 
And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know eight out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.